should be back tonight. I've got a lot of things I want to show you up on the screens tonight just to kind of help you understand where we are in our country in a good way. Now, I know I talked to a number of people when I came in, and, and justifiably so, I get everything they're saying. I agree with them when they shared with me, man, we're in trouble in America, and they are 100% correct. We've never been really kind of where we are right now in the United States of America, but I want you to understand something. God is alive and well on planet Earth. He just is. And uh, I want to show you tonight something that the media has never showed you, something you're not going to find anywhere else, and just let you know what God's up to, even up on Capitol Hill. Just came from there. Some amazing things. Was going to be going there tomorrow for our third outreach uh, of the year. We visit every single member of Congress every three months, walk into their offices and take something with us that has the gospel on it or in it. And uh, we share that with them and present that to them uh, every three months. It'd be like you visiting everybody in your community, knocking on every door in your community every three months. And that's what we do. 535 members of Congress, House side of Capitol Hill, Senate side of Capitol Hill, office buildings, House and Senate on each of the respective sides of Capitol Hill. And the reason I'm wearing a, a relatively new pair of shoes is because when I was up there a few months ago, I walked 16 miles in two days in dress shoes. I did, preacher, 16 miles in two days in dress shoes. And what was left of those shoes, I wore them completely out, had to get another pair. But we do that because we love serving the Lord. We love the members of Congress. And we minister to both sides of the aisle trying to get the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all of them, those that don't know the Lord, try to lead them to the Lord, those that do know the Lord, trying to instill a little bit of titanium backbone in them to stand up for what's right in these strategic days. And so we were headed there tomorrow. Uh, however, many of you have already come up to me and said we're praying for Amber, our son Nathan's wife. Uh, she has a couple of blood clots in her lungs. And uh, she also has a touch of pneumonia, and uh, all that was discovered yesterday. She was in some pretty intense pain in her ribcage area, and so that necessitated, while she was out with her family singing in Ohio, they had to go to the hospital. Nathan flew up uh, last night. I want to show you how good the family of God is. This is just amazing. Uh, Nathan needed a, a plane uh, to get up there, a, a way to get there. And there's a gentleman that works with our ministry up on Capitol Hill in a variety of ways. His name is Mark Sullivan. He's just a tremendous man. He and his sweet bride, Sherry. And Mark bought Nathan not just a ticket to get to Ohio. He bought him a first-class ticket. Can I hear an amen right there? And I got him on a plane and got him to, 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 to Ohio. And about 1.30 in the morning, the pastor up there, Pastor Eric, I don't even know his last name, but I love him already. Pastor Eric was at the airport to pick our son up and get him over to the hospital. In the family of God, amazing. Isn't it just absolutely amazing how the family of God works? And so Nathan has been up there, and I talked to him right before I came in at the end of Sunday school, and Amber's doing a little better, but uh, all of you that have expressed prayers for her, please keep that up. Uh, it's a serious thing when you got blood clots in your lungs. My dad died of that very thing, and so it's very, very serious, And uh, but we serve a God who can hear and answer prayer and has heard and answered prayer already. And I'll tell you this as I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Psalm number 11. Back on January the 29th, uh, I was in town in Hickory, North Carolina with my sweet bride, our oldest daughter, and our only grandson, Charlie, Prince Charles, we call him. Uh, how many of your grandparents know what I'm talking about? Aren't grandparents awesome? In, being a grandparent, awesome. It's just absolutely amazing. You just spoil the kids and send them home. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. And, uh, but anyway, we were playing with Charlie in a real crowded area with a lot of other kids around kind of a recreational area. My phone rang and I answered it and it was my brother's wife and I, I thought she said, I thought she said, 
uh, your brother's on the way to the hospital with what we think is a heart attack. And I, I thought, not my brother. I mean, you know, my brother, he, you know, he's, he's a hundred and, you know, hundred, what is 160 pounds, 155 pounds, you know, whatever it is I weigh, he's about 35 pounds lighter than I am. Lean, mean, you know, run, runs two miles every day, coach, you know, a couple of state championship basketball teams from over in uh, the Hickory area of North Carolina a number of years back and just, just fit. And I thought, you know, I didn't hear that right. And I said, I said, hang on just a second, Kathy, let me step outside and get out of the noise. And you tell me that again. I stepped outside and I said, I thought you said my brother had a heart attack. And she said, you didn't think I said that. We think, you know, we're pretty much convinced he is having one. He's on the way to the hospital right now. And we were seven minutes away. I said, well, we'll stop what we're doing, come over. And when we got to the hospital, went into the emergency ward, he was already in a room and the doctor was talking to him. And he said, we think you have 100% blockage on this side, 50% blockage on this side. And we're going to put a stent in on this side. And then we're going to treat the other side with medication. And in about 20 minutes after that procedure's done, you should be fine. Sure enough, he was back in the room 20 minutes later. And I remember asking him, I said, how do you feel? And Pastor Steve, he said, I feel like I could run a marathon. I said, don't do that. They'll be upset with you if you do. But he said, no, I feel like I could run a marathon. I said, well, man, that's great. Well, my bride and I were scheduled to be out of town two days later, not out of town, only out of the country for about four or five, six days. And because my brother was doing so well and was home, we went ahead and left and went outside the country. But on our last night before we returned home, uh, my phone rang. It was my brother's son, Bradley, wonderful young man. And uh, you could tell, boy, he was, he was disturbed and upset. He said, uh, Dad's had a full cardiac arrest. In fact, he's not just had it this time. He's not just had one. He's had four. At that point, he ultimately had 12 full cardiac arrests. And uh, Bradley said he's in the hospital outside Granite Falls, small little hospital, trying to get him down to Fry Regional Medical Center in Hickory, which is a Duke affiliate cardiac uh, specialist hospital, trying to get him down there, trying to get a helicopter to come in. It's being used for something else. But they're telling us they don't think dad's going to make it. Man, I was stunned. Here's my twin brother. Uh, only two in our family. Uh, I'm one minute older than he is, but we've done everything together. Set in every uh, kindergarten class, elementary class, you know, a junior high, high school, uh, six years of, of college. Uh, set it side by side in every single class. And I just couldn't imagine, you know, my brother not being here. So we begin praying, and boy, isn't Facebook a good thing when you can go on Facebook and literally thousands, thousands, tens of thousands of people begin praying for my brother, and uh, it was an amazing thing. Ultimately, again, he had 12 full cardiac arrests. They figured out after about four or five days at the hospital that when he had the heart attack, there's something, something with his heart. There is a name for it. can't remember the name, but the, the, heart, the heart attack changed the, uh, the electrical impulses a little bit of his heart. And the doctor explained it this way. This is layman's terms. He said, the blockage here and the partial blockage here, that's a plumbing issue. But he said the cardiac arrest was an electrical issue. And basically what happened, the, the, the changing of the firing of his heart, that's why they sometimes have to do ablation surgery, you know, where they freeze or, or sear, you know, the, the, the impulses of the heart to cause it to fire correctly post-heart attack. Well, anyway, my brother had that going on. And his resting heart rate has been 50 for years and normally that's a good thing. The rest of us would love to have that. But they said post-heart attack with some of the electrical changes in your heart, when your heart rate drops to 50, your heart wants to now throw another beat in. And when it starts trying to do that, it starts a downward spiral toward an arrhythmia where the heart just quivers and doesn't beat. And then your heart has been stopping completely. And preacher, every time they had to you know, paddle shock him you know, with a lot of force and the doctor said, thank the Lord, your, bro your brother is in, is in great health. I mean, otherwise, and the, the blockage issues and now the things that are going on here. But he said, your, your brother's heart was very strong. And thankfully, his heart went into rhythm, stayed in rhythm until it settled back down to about 50 beats a minute. Then he'd start that process of trying to throw another beat in and then the arrhythmia and then the full stoppage. 
and they said this, they said, if we can get a pacemaker in and he survives, uh, you know, till then, because it was very touch and go, then the pacemaker will keep his, his heart rate above whatever we set it on. I think they've got it set on 68 beats a minute right now. And if it drops below that, it'll, it'll engage the pacemaker. He won't even know that's happening. Well, sure enough, that's what happened. They put the pacemaker in and a defibrillator in case for some other reason, uh, you know, his heart were to drop low and it would shock him. You'll get it back in rhythm. They said, you will know when that happens. But anyway, when the pacemaker engages, you don't know. But whenever that defibrillator and you goes in, he said, you will know that. Well, anyway, long and short of it, God was so good. He was intubated for two weeks. And when they took the intubation tube out, because preacher, they did not know initially with the first cardiac arrest, he was out in a car. He wanted to drive his truck that day. Thank the Lord. His wife said, no, let me drive you sit in the passenger seat. Sometimes, guys, it's good to listen to your bride. Everybody know what I'm saying? It's a good, good thing. Ladies, nod your head. Don't elbow too hard. But anyway, it's good to listen to your bride. And uh, he sat in the passenger seat, and they were driven up, what, a half mile from their house the day he had the first full cardiac arrest. And Kathy said, I looked to the left, heard what I thought was a cough, looked back at your brother, and his head was back on the headrest, and he was gone. He technically died. They call it a code blue. Twelve of those happened to him. Well, anyway, she drove, at that point, she drove through a traffic light uh, over into a CVS parking lot. As God would have it, and I say it this way because it's true, as God would have it, there was a police officer sitting at the traffic light on this side of the intersection as she drove through the red light. He saw her do that, pulled in behind her to scold her, and when uh, he got out of his vehicle, she heard Kathy yelling, my husband's not breathing, my husband's not breathing, he's gone. And Of course, the police officer knew a little bit of CPR, got over there as quickly as he could, and began administering CPR till the EMTs could arrive. And the doctors told us, when we wake your brother up, take the intubation tube out, wake him up uh, after installing the pacemaker and all that. Uh, what we don't know, we don't know if there's been any brain damage because we don't know how long he was out without any you know, blood flow and without any oxygen after that initial cardiac arrest. So they told us this, uh, pay attention to, to, to what's going on in your brother's life. When you're talking to him in the room, uh, you know, if he doesn't remember something, that can be a sign of maybe some brain damage. Uh, the doctor looked at me and said, I understand your brother had a keen sense of humor. I said, you don't know the half of it. He said, well, if he's not as funny as he was before, you know, there's some changes there. That could be a sign of a little bit of brain damage. So just pay attention and, you know, as you're talking to him, take note of those things. Well, the day after they woke him up, took the intubation tube out. He couldn't really talk because the intubation tube made his uh, throat real hoarse. It was a heavy whisper when I talked to him. But I walked into the room, preacher. It was so funny. And he looked at me and he said this. He said, Dave, you're preaching at Drexel Memorial Baptist Church this week for Lonnie Brown, aren't you? I said, I am. I said, how do you remember that? He said, well, I'm not stupid. I can still remember. <laughs> I thought he hadn't forgotten anything because we hadn't talked about that except two months prior, you know, him having any issue. I thought that's a good sign. Well, the next day, and don't get mad at me, I'm not being political, but the next day I walked into the room and he was watching TV and he had one of those Mike Lindell, you know, the my, my Pillow. I don't even know who Mike Lindell is. It's not a commercial for Mike Lindell, but I do have one of his pillows. It's the best thing I've ever had. And that's, I don't get any re re residuals, you know, from telling you that. I'm just telling you I've got one. Well, anyway, you know, he's now got these new Giza Dream Sheets. You know what I'm talking about? The Giza Dream Sheets. And my brother was watching that commercial on the TV when I walked in his room and he looks over at me and he said, Dave, he said, did you know Mike Lindell's going to make some of those sheets for Joe Biden? I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, he's going to call them geezer dream sheets. I said, you're not sick. There's nothing wrong with you at all. 
fact, his, uh, his sense of humor is keener than ever. And uh, when they put the, the pacemaker and all in and he was uh, talking more regularly, he said, you know, Dave, this pacemaker I've got in has got a defibrillator, a defibrillator, you know, connected to it. He said, you know, I haven't been tempted to lie one time since they put that <laughs> defibrillator in. And I said, we need some of those for Washington, D.C., don't we? We need some people you know, wearing those up there. But anyway, long and short of it is he's doing great. And uh, he's been back running. He's now back up to almost two miles a day like he was and just doing great climbing ladders, you know, doing work and uh, just serving the Lord. I took him up to Pennsylvania with me and uh, he, uh, he led the music at a big conference I do up there every year and was just absolutely hilarious. And uh, preacher, you got, you got to understand, I'm sitting up on the platform and my brother's beside me and there was a guy up speaking, you know, about the American Pastors Network, which I'm a part of, I'm a board member and we have the radio program Stand in the Gap today and my brother leaned over to me and before I walk up to preach, here's what he tells me. He said, Dave, he said, I'm going to start an organization called the American Plasters Network. The American, and he said, and our radio program is going to be called Fill in the Gap today. And I'm over there just dying, laughing, you know, and trying to get up, you know, go, go preach after that. But he is crazy. He's just absolutely crazy. And if anything, uh, his sense of humor is better than it's ever been. And uh, he's doing great. The reason I'm telling you all that is this. We prayed. Some of you prayed. I would go on Facebook and encourage people to pray. And tens, literally tens of thousands of people would pray for my brother. And one ministry um, gentleman, if I mentioned his name, you'd all know him. You'd all know him. He's known nationally. But he told me this. He said, Brother Dave, in my 40 years of ministry, he said, I don't think I know of anybody who's been prayed for as much as your brother has been prayed for. And it's absolutely amazing, the power of prayer. And uh, I want to tell you, James 5, 16 came alive to us. The effectual, the effective, fervent, boiling hot prayer of a righteous man or woman, for that matter, of a righteous individual avails or accomplishes much. Can I hear an amen? I've known that. I've preached on that. But I want to tell you something. When you've got a loved one hanging between, you know, a life and death, that verse comes alive to you. And I'm here to tell you, uh, we've seen the awesome power of prayer and to be able to just take my phone and slip over to a hospital chaplain, turn my phone on Facebook Live and just say, folk, we need you to pray. We got an emergency here that the doctors are telling us is going on in my brother's life. And then people just respond by the thousands, tens of thousands, literally. Uh, that's just absolutely amazing. So with respect to our son's wife, Amber, our daughter-in-law, we believe God's going to touch her and raise her up as well. And we're praying. I want to encourage you to continue to pray. By the way, one last thing I do want to share with you. I couldn't, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait with my brother. Uh, you know, for years, he, he impersonates people. Okay, he's, a, he's an expert impersonator. And uh, I'm dating myself a little bit. Some of you will do the same. How many of you remember the old program, Sanford and Son? Y'all remember Sam? How many remember Red Fox on Sanford and Son? You know? And he'd walk around and he'd talk like this. And he'd talk about Rollo and, and Shady Grady and Julio DeFulio and Lamont. And he had, you know, his, his sister, Esther. You know, Esther. And he'd say to Esther, Esther, uh, your face is so ugly, I want to put it in dough and make gorilla cookies. I mean, how many of y'all remember that? You know? And uh, my brother would impersonate him way better than I could. But preacher, I couldn't wait until the, you know, the innovation tube was out and it was obvious he was going to improve. I could not wait to walk into his hospital room and look at him and say, you finally had the big one, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> and he just fell out of the bed almost laughing. Uh, but anyway, I, I, isn't it good to laugh? Isn't it good to be able to laugh today? But anyway, God is good. We serve a great God. We just do. And uh, I'm thrilled to be here. And I won't take just a few minutes this morning. In a few minutes tonight, try to be a blessing to you with the help of the Lord. I want you to look at Psalm 11, if you would, please. Psalm number 11, if you would, please. And I want you to listen to what David, the psalmist, who was inspired by God, to the human instrument God inspired to write these words found in Psalm 11. 
And in verse one, David says unequivocally, what I want to say this morning to you on I Love America Sunday, David said this, in the Lord put I my trust. Can I hear an amen? I want you folks to understand my confidence and trust never has been in the past. It is not now presently. It never will be in the future. My confidence is not in who sits in the White House in Washington, D.C. My confidence is in the Lord. Now listen, that doesn't minimize that we ought to do everything we can to get the right kind of people in office. Is everybody with me? But even at that, I want you to understand, my confidence is not, your confidence should not be in who the presidency is. Our confidence goes way north of Washington, D.C. Our confidence is in the Lord. In the Lord, says David, put I my trust. Now I want you to watch, if you would please, the rest of verse number one. David asks a question and he's posing this question to his peers, to his friends who know him well. They had been bombarding him with some advice. And what he says is, why are you telling me to do this? Well, what were they telling him to do? Look at the rest of the verse. In the Lord put I my trust. Why say ye... Why are you, my friends, my peers, saying to me, here's what they were saying, flee as a bird to your mountain. Flee as a bird to your mountain. You say, preacher, what does that mean? That's the Bible's way of saying this. Get out of Dodge, David. Get out of Dodge. Run for your life. David's saying, why are you telling me that? Why are you telling me run for my life? Get out of Dodge. Flee as a bird to your mountain because my confidence is in the Lord. Listen, folks, I'm not going anywhere in America. Can I hear an Amen. Listen, listen, I'm not leaving this. What I am gonna do is plant my feet. I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna defend liberty and freedom because I wanna pass it on to my children and my grandchildren. I want your children and grandchildren to enjoy what all of us have enjoyed. Can I hear an amen? We ought to stand up and fight for this country. She's worth fighting for. We saw two videos that had people who fought and died for this country. We ought to be willing, at least as Christians, in a Christ-like way, in the right way, to stand up and speak out in behalf of our country. If we don't, we're gonna lose it. In the Lord, put I my trust. So David says, why are you telling me Flee as a bird to your mountain. Now, I want you to watch verse two. Here's why they were telling him that. Now, there is some disagreement among Bible scholars as to who is making the statement in verse number two. Is it David making the statement? Is he quoting his peers who had been telling him this? Most likely, that's what's happening. David's just stating what he had been told. Here's, David, why you need to run for your life. Look at verse number two. For lo, the wicked. By the way, folks, there is such a thing as wickedness and wicked people. Not everybody wants to do right. Not everybody has your best interest. Not everybody has the nation's best interest at heart. Preacher, I wish I didn't have to say this. I don't say it with any animosity, but there is such a thing as wicked people and wicked politicians. Can I hear any? Oh my, you're gonna be in Facebook jail here again. I'm sorry, I've got you. The brother back there told me, I've got you on Facebook jail three times, I think. Anyway, the bottom line is this. Uh, if that's all the jail we have to ever, we're, we're in pretty good shape. If that's all we have to, I've been in Facebook jail so many times I've got a Facebook jail ministry. Everybody understand what I'm saying? I do. I do, okay. What David is saying, his peers have told him is this, for lo the wicked, and there are wicked people, the wicked bend their bow. Look at the rest of verse two. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily. The word privily means secretly shoot at the upright in heart. Let me ask a question. Do we have any hunters in the room? Hunters, deer hunters in the room. Any deer hunters in the room? By the way, verse two is a deer hunting analogy. The wicked bend their bow. 
They make ready their arrow upon the string. That they may privily, only in verse 2, it's not a deer that's the target. It's the upright in heart that are the target. By the way, my pastor asked me one time, he said, Dave, do you know what the word vegetarian means? I said, no. He said, well, it's Greek for poor hunter. That's what it is. <laughs> it's Greek for poor. If you can't hunt, you become a vegetarian. Everybody understand? <laughs> David is being told this, and he quotes it. The wicked reach into their quiver on their back. They pull out an arrow. They draw it across the bowstring. The wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may secretly shoot at the upright in the heart. By the way, you may work in a place where you're the only one or one of the few that want to just do right in the business where you work and everybody else seems to skate by, but they're after you trying to get you fired because you want to do right. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? This is the wicked bending their bow to try to secretly shoot at the upright heart. In other words, what David is being told is this. Don't you understand? There are people out there that are emissaries of people in prominent places. And by the way, if you know anything about the context of Psalm 11, David is running or being told to run by his peers from the king. Do you understand? David had a great relationship with King Saul. It was David, pastor, that was summoned in to play his harp skillfully in front of King Saul. And by the way, I was ministered to by the music today. Were you? I took some videos of the choir singing that I'm going to post online because I was ministered. If I minister to other people, be ministered. there's power in music. David would come in and play for King Saul who was a deeply troubled man at this time and there were evil spirits tormenting Saul. And the Bible says when David would play that Saul's spirit would be refreshed and he would be made physically well. Think about that preacher. That's amazing. The power of music. David is a favorite of King Saul until... Until 1 Samuel 17, when David goes out and takes down a 10-foot tall giant by the name of Goliath. How many of you remember this? At the end of David's victory over that 10-foot tall giant Goliath, the women of Israel start a chant, and their chant is this, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And the green-eyed monster of envy crawls and sets up shop in King Saul's heart. Everybody understand what I'm saying? And David... Here's this from King Saul. They have ascribed to me but thousands. They've ascribed to this young man tens of thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And he becomes jealous and starts trying to take David out. Does everybody understand? See, these peers of David, they do care about him. David, here's why you need to run for your life because the king's got his spies everywhere like deer hunters in the wood and they're going to draw their arrow across their bowstring only they're not shooting at an animal. Son, they're shooting for you. Don't you understand? David said, let me say something. My confidence is in the Lord. Folks, can I say this? I'm, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I really am. I, try to, I love people. But folks, you speak truth in this culture. Not everybody's going to love you. Not everybody's going to love there is not a more kind human being alive in my estimation than your preacher, Steve Pope. But I can promise you this. You stand up here. I don't care how kind you are, preacher. You're one of the most kind men I've ever met. I don't care how kind you are. Not everybody's going to like you if you communicate truth. Wow. Wow. I'm telling you, we live in a wicked world. We live in a wicked world. I've had death threats. I've had it all. I've had it all. Listen, you know what I sometimes feel like? I've said it, preacher. I don't want to be arrogant about it. But people say, we won't take you out. I just want to stand up and say, take your best shot. Here I am. Take your best shot. 
Do you understand? I believe this, and I believe David believed this. I'm invincible till God's through with me. Can I hear an amen? So like, like George Washington of old, who was shot at 17 times, and an old Indian chief said years later when he met George Washington along the Ohio River, he said, I tried to take, I told my braves, mark that guy, fire at him, take him out of the saddle. And he said, you were never born to be killed in battle. Any of y'all remember this story? He said, I know you weren't born to be killed in battle because I fired at you 17 times myself and could not bring you to the ground. Did you know George Washington testified to one of his relatives? I had X number of bullet holes through my coat, but not one of them pierced my body. Can I hear an amen? God was George Washington, our first president's defender. Can I hear an amen? He is our defender as well. So take your best shot till God's through with me. I'm invincible and so are you. So are you. Now, I'm not going to be stupid and foolish, but I'm just here to tell you, God is our protector. So they're telling David, get out of Dodge. Here's why. The king's got his spies looking for you. And then there's some debate about who makes the statement or asks the question in verse number three. It doesn't really matter who asks it, but it's posed and it's a great one. Look at verse three of Psalm 11. If the foundations be destroyed, and I need to tell you in context, in context, the foundation that's being referred to is the foundation of government. They're referring to the king. The king is in trouble. He's in so much trouble, pastor, that at one point when he's seeking an answer and God's not answering him because he's in so much sin, heinous sin against God, he goes to a place called Endor to try to get an answer from a witch. Would you agree with me? The empire in trouble. Trouble. So if the foundation of government, in David's day it was a monarchy, they had a king. If the foundation of God, or if the foundation of anything for that matter, let's broaden it. It could be the foundation of your health. It could be the foundation of your finances. It could be the foundation of your relationships. It could be the foundation of anything. If the foundation of anything, in context, it's government, but if the foundation of anything is being destroyed, the question that is asked is this, what can the righteous do? And I'm just going to be honest with you. My dad was a pastor for almost 40 years. I don't know more than him. I don't know more than anybody else, but I just need to be honest and candid with you. My dad would preach... From this passage, we had evangelists come through and preach from this passage. And I'm just, I'm just trying to tell you, my memory, my memory of the way it was always addressed was this. If the foundations, in context, government, and they always would talk about that because that is the context. If the foundation of government in America is being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And here's the way it was insinuated. Nothing. We just got to throw up our hands in frustration, tie a knot in the end of our spiritual rope, and hang on pleading and begging for the rapture to occur. Folks, I'll tell you something. I believe Jesus is coming back in the rapture sooner rather than later. I'm surprised we're still here, to be quite honest with you. But if you can't look around and see what's going on in our world and see that this is the fulfillment of what Jesus predicted the last days would look like, man, you've got to have your head buried in the sand. Man, Jesus is coming back. But I want you to understand something. The response to the question, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do, is not tie a knot in the end of our spiritual rope and just hang on saying, Jesus, come get me, come get me. No, our response is to be different. We've got a mission to fulfill. We've got something to do. And what hit me, preacher, was this. Look at verse 4 because verse 4 begins the answer to the question posed in verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, number one, we can know some things. And what we can know first and foremost is found in verse 4. Look at verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is where? 
in In other words, preacher, it means this. God hasn't gone anywhere. He sits where he's always sat. Can I hear an amen? Wow. So if you're watching everything fall apart in your country, watching your health decline, watching your finances, what do we do? Well, we can know something. And what we can know is he sits where he's always sat. God's not gone anywhere. He's not going anywhere. Do you understand? And this is a powerful thought. Do you know God knows the end from the beginning? That means this preacher, God knows what's going to happen way down here at the end, but he knows what's going to happen way down here at the end. He knows it way down, way back here at the very beginning. Can you hear an amen? Somebody said it so well. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? Well, preacher, that's trite. I know it sounds trite, but it's true. See, God didn't wake up this morning and go, oh my goodness. By the way, number one, God doesn't wake up. Because the Bible says our God never slumbers and sleeps. Think about that. I love, I, I had a guy tell me one time, you know, there is no place, there is no place in the Christian life for a lot of humor. Preacher, I think you laugh too much. I said, uh, brother, I said, man, I'm sorry. But I said, I believe the Bible teaches a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. And I don't plan to ever die. I'm gonna laugh so much that I don't plan to ever. And I know we got serious stuff going on, but folks, sometimes there's just things that happen. You gotta laugh. And then number two, he said, I don't believe there's a place for sarcasm. I said, you know, I, I, I said, Let me just, there's a number of places I could go, Jesus himself. But, but I said, can I, can I just take you back to the, to the book of 1 Kings, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, where on Mount Carmel, prophets of Baal have screamed and cried, you know, to a God that doesn't even exist. And when old Elijah gets up and gets his chin, I, I, would, I would say he was, I'd say he talked a little smack, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> Not just sarcastic. He talked a little smack. He said, cry aloud, boys. For old Baal, he's a god, isn't he? He's supposed to be a deity, right? Maybe, I love it. Maybe he's taking it. Maybe your god's on vacation down in the Caribbean. Or maybe your god is in a conversation. Maybe he's got his cell phone out making a phone call, modernizing it. Maybe your god's... I love, maybe your God's sleeping. Think, would you want to serve a deity that got so tired he had to take an afternoon nap? Our God never slumbers nor sleeps. Can I hear an amen? He is awake 24 7 because he's God. And he's there to meet our needs and help us. Wow. So God not only didn't wake up this morning, he didn't wake up thinking this. Wow, I didn't know. That old Dave was going to be tired this morning because I flew back on Friday night from Portland, Oregon, red eye through the night, and I don't sleep on an airplane. I just don't. And I got home yesterday, and I had too much to do, so I didn't take a nap all day. I was up over 48 hours straight, and then with Amber being sick, I didn't get a lot of sleep last. God didn't wake, and I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you, God didn't wake up this morning and say, I didn't know David was going to be tired. God knew that from before the foundation of the world. Can I hear an Amen. And what I've learned is this. God gives us what we need when we need it. So I'm fired up. I found this out. The Holy Spirit plus a good tall glass of sweet tea equals awesome, doesn't it, preacher? It does. Man, God's good. He is good. What can we know if we're watching everything crumble around us, including in our country? We can know he sits. Where he's always sitting. Number two, would you watch this? Not only does he sit, number two, he sees. 
This is vitally important. Look, if you would, please, verse number four. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is in his heaven. Look at the next phrase in verse four. His eyes behold. See, here's where I get frustrated. I watch the news. <laughs> Preacher, does your bride ever do that? I watch the news and I get animated. I get animated. And I start yelling at the TV as if you can hear me. Please tell me I'm not the only one that does that. All right? Brother, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be political. Please don't get mad at me and throw something. But if I tried what our certain people, let me say, if I tried what certain people tried, and you know, I worked out negotiations and deals with foreign governments, and I had money rolling into my bank account or into multiple bank accounts in my family to the tunes of tens of millions, if I did that, I'd be on trial for treason, and I'd be convicted and never get out the rest of my life. Can I hear an amen? If you did the same thing, so would you. How come he and they get by with it? Listen, I feel better after having said that, okay? <laughs> Y'all look a little rough. No, you don't. You look great. But anyway, I feel better. The point is this. My wife will tell me, honey, chill. Take a chill pill. This is one I really love. Practice what you preach. Isn't that awesome? Thank God for our sweet brides. Can I hear an amen? Thank God for that advice. What she's telling me is, honey, don't you understand? The one who sits on his throne in heaven sees everything going on. We may think they're getting by. They're not. They're not. They're not. He sees his eyes. Behold. That means this. There's going to be a reckoning day coming. Deal is, preacher, I want the reckoning day down here, don't you? But it's not going to happen on my schedule. It's going to happen on God's schedule. Can I hear an amen? Because he's God and he knows best. So my sweet bride will say, chill. Yeah, not only does he see after sitting where he sits, he sits, he sees. I want you to look at the middle of verse four. His eyes not only behold, his eyelids try. The children of men. The word try there is a Hebrew term. I'm not trying to impress you, but I want you to understand. It literally means to test, or it can mean to do this, to separate or distinguish. Yeah. So the one who sits on his throne in heaven sees everything going on in our world. He's going to, here's the third S, he's going to sort it all out. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. He's going to put the righteous over here. He's going to put the wicked over here. He's going to separate this deal out and he's going to deal with both the righteous and the wicked in two different ways. You say, how's he going to deal with them? I'm going to show you in just a second. So if we get all bent out of shape about what's happening in our world, it doesn't mean we shouldn't do something about it. We should, but in our spirit, we can trust the Lord and know he's got it all under control. Wow. We say it all the time, but it's more true now than ever. God's got this. God's got this. He's got it. So you know what? I can move forward fearlessly. How could David, never done this in his life, walk into the middle of the Valley of Elah, watch a 10-foot tall giant over there who for 40 days has been taunting not only the armies of Israel but the God of the armies of Israel. How could he walk out into the middle of that valley and say, King, turn me loose. I'm going to take that boy down. How could he do that? He's never faced anything like that before. Yes, he's killed some lions and bears, which most basically none of us have done. He's pretty significant, but he's never taken on a seasoned warrior. But he walks into the middle of that valley and takes that old boy down. How does he do that? Because he knows God's got this. God's got my back. So you know what? I love it. He talks smack to that guy. 
That guy looked at David and said, you little pipsqueak. Look at you. So skinny. So skinny. Look at my big muscles. I'm going to feed your carcass to the fowls of heaven today. Don't you? David couldn't have been a Baptist. He could not have been a Baptist. Because when we get threatened, you know what we do? We run. David couldn't have been a Baptist. Whenever the giant looked at him, said, I'm going to feed your carcass to the fowls of heaven. David just planted his feet and said, oh, contraire, sir, excuse me. You've got that baby backwards. I'm going to feed your carcass to the fowls of heaven today. And all the earth is going to know there's a God in Israel. Can I hear an amen? Wow. How could he do that? Because he knows the one who sits on his throne in heaven sees this entire battle. In fact, he knew about this battle and mapped out his game plan before it even, even the beginning of, the, of time. And God's got my back. He sees, he, he, he sits, he's going to sort all this out. And dude, you're going down. Can I say this on the authority of the word of God? The evil people in this country are going down. In God's time. In God's time. Well, if the foundations are being destroyed, what can we do? Well, we can know some things. We can know he sits, he sees, he sorts. Please watch this. Look, if you would, please, at verse number six. He's going to send judgment. The one who sits and sees and sorts is going to send judgment in his time. Look at, look at verse six. This is so clear. Upon the wicked he, God, shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. In other words, this is what they deserve and they're going to get it. Now, folk, may I say this? God loves you. God loves you, and if you don't know Jesus as Savior today, you can trust him and you can be eternally forgiven. By the way, preacher, Friday, Friday was awesome. I'm preaching out in Portland, Oregon, Troutdale, the eastern part of Portland, to a group of, of high school kids. Fourteen young people trusted Christ as Savior on Friday alone. Can I hear an amen? One of them that got saved was a Buddhist. A Buddhist teenager that they've been praying for for two years, and she walked the aisle and got saved. Pardon me while I do this. Can I hear an Amen. What? I'm going to pay for that later. But anyway, <laughs> is God awesome or what? Yes, sir. What I'm trying to say is you can come to Jesus and be saved, but people who persist in their evil, people who persist and sell their soul to do evil, and there's some people that have done that. God's going to send snares, fire and brimstone, and a an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. This is what they justly deserve, and one day they're going to get it. I say that with a broken heart. I want them to be saved, but not all men and women will be. I want everybody on Capitol Hill to come to Jesus, but folk, here's the sad reality. Not all of them will. And there's some world leaders. You saw some pictures on the screen of a few of them while that dear sister was singing the song earlier or while we were watching the video earlier. Some of those folks like Kim Jong-un, if they don't come to Jesus, man, God's judgment awaits them. And by the way, if you reject Jesus as your Savior, there's judgment waiting for you too. You don't have to experience it because God loves you. Oh, he loves you. He sent this preacher here today to tell you God loves you. Look again at verse number six. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Look at verse seven though. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. I think we've forgotten that in America, don't, haven't we? God is a righteous God. He's holy before he's anything else. We see all these pictures, you know, in the Bible bookstores, you know, of the tender shepherd 
And he's holding a lamb across his left arm and with his right hand he's stroking the head of that lamb. And they, they, they portray, that's Jesus. You know he is the tender shepherd, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. And preacher, I've read Revelation chapter one where he's described as having eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like to burning in fine brass and his voice is as the voice of many waters. The description of Jesus in Revelation one is not the tender Jesus, it's the tough Jesus who is judging. Can I hear an amen? Don't come to the tender one and you'll face the tough one one day. You will. Don't come to Jesus as Savior. And you'll face the judge one day, though he's done everything to draw you to himself in salvation. Wow. What a loving Savior. Upon the righteous, though, the Bible says this. He judged the wicked. I want you to see verse 7 one more time. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His eyes, or his countenance rather, I love this, doth behold the upright. You know what the word behold means? It's a Hebrew term that means this. The Lord is going to judge the wicked, but upon the righteous, his countenance doth behold. It means he looks with favor upon the upright. Do you know if you're saved here today and your sins forgiven, do you know how God's looking at you right now? He's looking at you with favor. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Okay, let me go back. How many grandparents do we have in the room? Grandparents? Okay. Do you, all of you know what a grandma's paddle looks like? They call it a grandma's paddle. It's kind of a long stick with a big fluffy, the most fluffy pillow you can imagine at the end of it. You know, to... <laughs> We have one grandchild. His name is Charlie. Again, we call him Prince Charles. Do you know that little guy can do no wrong in grandma's eyes? See, I, I'm Papa. That's what he calls Papa. That's Grandpa Papa. My wife was supposed to be BB. That's what he started calling. Brother Steve, it's morphed into baby. That's what he calls her. So we'll go out and take him somewhere, and he'll look up at my wife with those big blue eyes of his, and he'll go, baby, you have a surprise for me? And my wife just melts into the floor. You know what I'm saying? I can turn over something at the table, and my wife will scold me a little bit gently. Charlie can turn it over, and she's going to get another glass glass so we can do it again. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Because she looks on that little boy with favor. Do you know that's how God looks at his children? He looks at us with, can I hear an amen? This is good stuff. Wow. Totally different. God's viewpoint and vantage point of his children versus those that have sold themselves to do evil. Wow. So if the foundations are destroyed, everything's crumbling. In context, government, what can we do? We know some stuff. But I want you to know this, and I'm done. The question was not what can the righteous know. The question is what can the righteous do. Now I want to say this and want you to understand where I'm going and I'm done. We do or at least ought to. We do or ought to do what we do because we know what we know. Can I say that again? We do or at least ought to do what we do because we know what we know. Do you know if God sits on his throne in heaven and he hadn't gone anywhere, what should be my response to that when everything's falling apart in front of me? What should I do if I know God sits and sees? Preacher, it ought to drive me to my knees in prayer to the one who hadn't gone anywhere and can solve my problem. Can I hear an amen? 
So the question is, what can the righteous do? We know what we know. He sits, he sees, he sorts, he's going to send judgment. Well, what do I do? Well, the psalmist, I think, David, knew we'd know what to do. If he's up there waiting, then I pray. Can I hear an amen? What can I do? I pray. I pray. I pray. You say, preacher, that's trite. It may sound trite, but it is the... If that's my wife trying to get a hold of me, let me know. But anyway... Sorry, that was my pacemaker going off. No, it wasn't. <laughs> but if we know what that God sits, we can pray. Can, can I hear an amen? Wow, do we serve an awesome God? Do we serve an awesome God? We ought to pray, number two. I'm just giving you some things we can do because we know what we know. Not only pray, we ought to participate in everything going on, especially with the gospel. Man, if God sits up in heaven and he loves people and wants them to come to him and say, man, I ought to be engaged in trying to get the gospel of them everywhere I go. Why am I at 64 years of... Preacher, I put last July, I put 10,000 miles on that white car sitting out there. That car now has 176, almost 177,000 miles on it and 10,000 of them were put on it in one month. Why am I doing that? I'll tell you why. Because I know something that God loves people. And so I'm going to do something and try to participate in his plan of redemption and get the gospel to them. Can I hear an amen? Wow. So if the foundations have been destroyed, what can the righteous do? We can pray, we can participate. And by the way, I think we ought to participate in the process civically as well. Do you know civil government's God's idea? Homes, God's idea expects us to be involved. Church, God's idea expects us to be intimately involved. Can I hear an amen? Civil government, third of God's three institutions. His idea, we ought to be involved. You say, preacher, it's dark. I know it is. It's gotten real dark because we withdrew from it and gave it over to the world. I want to go back into it and carry the light back into it. <laughs> Stop getting in. Are you kidding? No way. No, we ought to participate. Yeah. It's part of our responsibility. Not only as a citizen of heaven, but also the citizen of these United States. We enjoy the blessings. We have an obligation to be involved in the process. So we ought to pray. We ought to participate. Number three. And with this, I'm done. Preacher, I believe this with all my heart. If I'm going to pray and participate, I ought to prepare for God to answer. Let me ask you a question. Why pray if you don't believe God's going to answer? Mm. Now, let me just say this and then ask a question, give you an illustration, and we're done. Have any of you noticed that our black pastor friends can say stuff that we can never say and they get by with it and we can't? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody, any of you know who Dr. Tony Evans is? Do you love Dr. Evans like I do? Man, I love that guy. By the way, uh, when I was preaching in the Pentagon a number of years ago, the Pentagon chaplain said, we had Dr. Evans come in. I said, oh, wow, you got, you got Dr. Tony Evans come speak here at, at the Pentagon prayer breakfast like I did. He said, we did. I said, how did you get him? He said, well, I just called him up. Heard he was in town, called him up. And he said, here's the question I asked him. I said, uh, Dr. Evans, do you believe in free speech? He said, I do. He said, well, then how about coming over here to the Pentagon and giving us one then? <laughs> he said, how can you turn me down on that? I said, so he came. He said, Sure. Gave us some sermon free of charge because we have no budget in the you know, military to you know, pay for stuff like that. Well, we did the same thing. So I said, man, that's awesome. I love Dr. Evans. Yeah. Several years ago, he held a crusade in Williams-Brice Stadium 
which is on the campus of South Carolina, University of South Carolina. williams Bryce Stadium is a football field where the South Carolina Gamecocks play football. It was a one night. It was a Saturday night, just like last night. Saturday night crusade, one night crusade. They had prepared and planned for it for a year. And uh, when I was in D.C., uh, one year at the National Day of Prayer, he was the honorary chairman, and I walked up to him, shook his hand. My bride was with me, and I, I said, Dr. Evans, I said, I've, I've watched you tell this on a YouTube a post, but I said, can, can you go through it real quick? I wanted to hear him tell it. By the way, you haven't heard it until you've heard him tell this. But he said, uh, yeah, we'd, he said, we'd, we'd prayed and prepared, and he said, the night of the crusade, uh, we met, the way he describes it, you know, he's so eloquent, in the bowels of Williams Bryce Stadium in this coach's room in the bowels of Williams Bryce Stadium. And he said, there's 15 of us, me and 14 others, 13 preachers, me, and then one little African-American sister. And we're going to pray before the meeting, one hour before the 7 o'clock start. And he said, the reason, Dave, we were so animated to pray is because they'd been calling for a massive storm to come through right at 7 o'clock when the crusade started. So he said, we're meeting in there. And here's the way he said it. He said, we all prayed, all of us, all of us preachers prayed safe prayers. He said, you do know what a safe prayer is? I said, yes, sir, I think I do. He said, well, if you don't understand fully, a safe prayer is this. Oh, God, if it be your will, we pray it won't rain. He said, that's a safe prayer. Because if it does rain, you got an exit ramp, right? you got an exit ramp. Well, maybe it was God's will for it to rain. So he said, we all prayed that way. Safe prayers. God, if it be your will, we pray it wouldn't rain. He said, when the last preacher prayed, we all stood up, got ready to exit the room. He said, this little four foot nine, four foot ten African-American sister said, well, can I pray? And as only Dr. Evans can say it, he said, you, you looked at me and said, you can't tell a sister she can't pray. So he said, we looked at her and said, pray. He said, here's what she did, Dave. I'm not kidding. She got down on one knee, raised her left hand like this and said, oh God, you would embarrass yourself if you let it rain tonight. He said, we're all getting out of the way. Let lightning come down and strike her. He said, she's still praying. Yes, Lord, you would embarrass yourself if you let it rain because we have prayed and prepared for this for a solid year. So God, I'm asking if that storm even comes anywhere near williams Bryce Stadium, Lord, help it to split. And half of it goes south, half of it goes north. Don't let it rain a drop in williams Bryce Stadium. Amen in the mighty name of Jesus. And she stood up and said, let's go. <laughs> Dr. Evans said she didn't pray no safe prayer. She put it all out there. He said, I'm up on the platform. Most of the people are sitting on chairs out on the surface, few people up in the stands, most people on the plain surface. He said, down on the front row, down on the front row was this little African-American sister and to her right was one of the preachers in the prayer meeting. He said, Dave, I'm looking to the west. He said, you could see the storm coming. You know how you can see rain falling from the sky? At a he said, we could see that lightning and all that stuff, thunder in the distance. He said, we knew the storm was coming. He said, Dave, as I'm standing here, up on the platform, watched the pastor that had been in the prayer meeting, the little African-American sister to his left, he said, I watched the pastor reach down. He said, no joke, Dave. He picked up an umbrella and opened it up. Now I'm going to say what he said. If you go to a prayer meeting praying it won't rain, what kind of faith is it if you take your umbrella? Now if you hadn't had rain and you need it, take your umbrella to the prayer meeting. Can I hear an amen? But if you're asking for no rain, it's not faith to take an umbrella. He said he opened the umbrella, David. He said, I watched him open it all the way up and extended it to his left over the head of the little four foot nine, four foot ten African American sister. He said, Dave, I, I couldn't hear her. But he said, I didn't have to hear her. I could read her lips. 
she looked at that pastor and his lack of faith, and he said, she did this real mouthed. I'm not going to need that. And neither are you. He said, Davis, I'm standing here. When that storm hit the west parking lot of Williams Bryce Stadium, he said, it split. Half of the storm went south, dumped torrential rain in the south parking lot of Williams Bryce Stadium. Half went north, inundated the north parking lot with water. Didn't rain a drop in Williams. Can I hear an amen? amen. <laughs> wow. By the way, if you've never read his book, Kingdom Man, anybody ever read it? Preacher, it's awesome, isn't it? First, again, he can say stuff. I'm, I'm, please don't get mad at me and throw a hymn book. I'm quoting Dr. Evans, okay? First chapter, first paragraph, a kingdom man is the kind of guy that when he gets up in the morning and puts his feet on the floor, the devil says, oh crap, he's up. <laughs> you said that, I, I'm quoting Dr. Evans. Don't get mad at me, I'm quoting Dr. Evans. You know what he means by that? A kingdom man, and there's a book called Kingdom Woman as well. A kingdom man or a kingdom woman or kingdom kids. They've written a book for Trina. Kingdom kids, kingdom people are the kind of people when they get up and put their feet on the floor, the devil gets upset and says, I'm going to have trouble all day because they're up and moving. Can I hear an amen? amen? I don't know about you. I want to be a kingdom man. I want the devil to live in fear and trembling on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday because I'm up and moving. I'm walking. And the devil says, I'm going to have trouble today because Dave's up. Wow. Most of us are no threat whatsoever to the kingdom of darkness. We're here to be a force for righteousness, for the glory of God, and against the kingdom of darkness. Wow. So if everything's falling apart, what can we do? Well, we know some things. And based on what we know, we should do the following. Pray, participate, and prepare like that dear sister did for God to answer. Wow. Father, would you speak to us today? Lord, we are living in dark days to be sure. In fact, days so incredibly dark that it takes very little light to shine brightly. May we heed your admonition and let our light so shine that people will see our good works and come to the right opinion about our Father. Glorify our Father in heaven. Father, I pray you would encourage the discouraged today. I pray you would lighten the load of those that are carrying a heavy one. And Lord, more importantly and most importantly, I pray for those that don't know you as Savior yet, that Holy Spirit of God, you would so speak to them and draw them to yourself that like that Buddhist teenage girl that got saved out in Portland last week or this week on Friday, Father, would you work in such a way that those who don't know you would come to you and be gloriously transformed. And Father, I'll thank you and give you great glory and praise. Now folks, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to ask you just a couple of questions and that's it. Please hear me out and we're done. Is there anyone in the room today? Could be several. You do not know. By the way, here's exactly the way I worded the question on Friday. You do not know that you're going to heaven. You don't have the assurance that your sin's forgiven, that Jesus is your Savior. You don't know that you're forgiven and saved and going to heaven. If that's you, dear friend, I wonder if you're concerned about your eternal destiny. Concerned enough that you'd let this preacher who's poured his heart out to you today pray for you. 
I'd like to pray that before it's too late, you'll come to Jesus. He loves you. He died on an old rugged cross, shed his blood, was buried, rose again the third day, did all of that because he loves you and wants to be your Savior and forgive your sin. He's the only one that can do it. He's the only one that can do it. He lived a sinless life on this earth. He's qualified to forgive your sin. I can't get into heaven on my own merits, neither can you. But based on the merits of what Jesus did for me and took my place and died a substitutionary death on the cross, I can go to heaven now because I've put my faith, my trust in Him. And He saved me. Is there anyone in the room that would say, Preacher, you're talking to me? I am not. 100% certain that if my life ended today that I'd go to heaven, but I'm concerned about it. And Dave, I'd like you to remember me in prayer. And when I say remember you in prayer, I'm not going to call your name out in my prayer, even if I know your name. I just want to pray anonymously that before it's too late, you'll get your eternal future settled. Is there anyone like that in the room? Dave, you're talking to me. I'm not sure I'm saved, but yes, I'd like you to pray for me. If that's you, would you lift your hand long enough for me to see it? Anybody in the room? Dave, I'm not sure. Thank you. God bless you. Are there any others? Preacher, I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven, but I'm concerned about my eternal destiny and I'd like you to pray for me. Is there anyone else? You'd slip your hand up long enough for me to take note of it. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Glad I waited. Are there any others? Preacher, I'm just not sure that I'm going to heaven. Please pray for me. I'm not sure I'm forgiven and on my way to heaven, but I'm concerned about my eternal destiny. Please pray for me. Is there anyone else before I pray? Father, I bring these before you that lifted their hand and pray that, Lord Jesus, you would so work in their life that they'd be beyond just concerned about their eternal future. I pray they'd be convicted of their need of you and that today they'd be drawn by you and they would yield to your drawing. And come and get their eternal destiny forever settled before it's too late. And Father, I'll thank you for what you do. I want to ask one final question before we have an invitation very briefly. I want to direct this question to God's people, the ones that know Jesus as Savior already. I don't know where you've been, where you are. don't know what you're mental or spiritual state is with respect to what's been going on in our country and in our world. It's serious. It is. It's beyond serious. But I want you to understand it was serious in David's day. And Psalm 11 is a powerful treatise on how we as God's people should respond. If everything's falling apart around us, what can the righteous do? Well, we can know some things. But we can also do some things based on what we know. And I want to ask, because it's vitally important, you're going to understand tonight exactly why it's so important. Please don't you miss tonight. Don't you dare miss it. You're going to see it with your own eyes. It's vitally important we have kingdom men and kingdom women and kingdom young people who are a threat to the kingdom of darkness And every day when we get up and put our feet on the floor, the devil and his emissaries say, oh no, they're up. They're up and moving. I'm going to have trouble today. Kingdom men, kingdom women. I wonder how many men and ladies and young people want to be a kingdom person from this day forward. Some of you lifting your hands. Thank God for that. 
What I'd like to ask us to do with our heads bowed and eyes closed is just simply to stand to our feet. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask Pastor Steve, would you be so kind as to come and stand right here, my dear brother, to my right? We're going to have an invitation that's going to be twofold, very brief, but it's going to be twofold. If you lifted your hand and said, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, Pastor Steve is standing right here to my right. He would love nothing more than to put someone with you that will take a Bible and introduce you to Jesus Christ, the greatest friend you'll ever have, the one who can save your soul, forgive your sin. If you're not sure you're on your way to heaven, and especially if you lifted your hand, would you be willing to step to where Pastor Steve is and just say, I want to know, I want to know I'm going to heaven. You can know. For the rest of us, here's the invitation. If you want to be a kingdom man, a kingdom woman, a kingdom young person, you want to be a threat to the kingdom of darkness, I want to ask you if you'd be willing to do this. Would you be willing just to step from where you're currently standing? Join me here in this altar. You can stand here. You can sit here. You can kneel. You can sit at one of the benches or chairs in the front that are vacant. God bless you guys and ladies. You can take whatever bodily posture you would like. I'm just asking if you want to be a kingdom person. Kingdom people are desperately needed. You're going to see why and how God can use us. How God's already using kingdom people tonight. It's amazing. Lord, I want to be a kingdom man. I want to be a kingdom woman. I want to be a threat to the forces of darkness and to the wicked one himself. When I get up and put my feet on the floor, I want the demon hordes of hell to tremble. He's up. She's up. We're going to have trouble today. I want to be a kingdom person. We can be. We can be. We must be. We must be. Friend, if you don't know Christ, pastor's waiting right here. You can step right to him. Get this thing of your eternal destiny forever settled. This is your opportunity. Don't miss it. Jesus loves you. Father, I want to thank you again for who you are. You're the God of all the earth and nothing is too hard for you. There's no one past your ability to save. There's no nation. There's no group of people past your ability to touch and revive. Lord, you do set some conditions found in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. But Lord, if we'll meet those conditions, pray, humble ourselves, seek your face, turn from our wicked way. You made a promise you would hear and heal. And Father, we need some healing in America right now, desperately. And Lord, I pray that kingdom people, kingdom men, women, young people would rise up from right here at Union Grove and across the nation, people through whom you can work your powerful work in this nation that so desperately needs a divine touch. Father, prepare us for that, especially tonight. Lord, I pray, I pray our eyes will be opened and our understanding would be enlightened as we see what you're doing through kingdom people and how we can enlist and be a part of it. And for all you do, I'll thank you and give you glory. For it's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus that I do pray. Amen. Well, let's keep our heads bowed just for a moment. If you're in the altars this morning, stay as long as you need to. Don't be in a rush. If you're here today and, and you raised your hand a while ago and said you needed to come to Christ, there's still time for you to do that. And we have some, we have some folks in the altars this morning with a Bible in their hand. 
And if you're here today and you need to come to Christ, you need to be saved, just step out right now and they'll meet you down here in the altar and they'd love to show you how you can know that you know that you're going to heaven when you die. If you're watching live stream right now, we're, uh, we're delighted to have you as part of this broadcast. And there is a number on the bottom of your screen right now, 704-327-5662. We have some people waiting right beside the phone right now. And if you'll call that number, we would love to pray with you. We'd love to share Christ with you right now. And so I hope that you'll, I hope you'll call. So while we pause just for a moment, anybody else? You can look up this way. Folks are still finishing in the altars. We're going to sing this little chorus that says, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. We still have some folks in the altar uh, this morning. And if you're here and the Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart, whatever you do, don't leave. Don't leave. Just step out. You know, I tell our folks all the time, if you'll take that first step, he'll help you with the second one. And we would love to share the gospel of Jesus with you. It could be there's somebody here this morning and say, a Preacher, I'm saved. But I've, I, I didn't even mean to let it happen, but I've strayed from the will of God and I've wandered and I need to rededicate my life to Christ. Could be a lot of things. You may be here this morning, preacher, I've been saved. I've never, I've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism or uh, we feel it God's will that we join with this local body. Could be a lot of things. And so while we sing this chorus, if you need to come, there'll be somebody here to greet you. Let's sing it together. Here we go. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee.